My name is Professor Rachel Bodell, and you're listening to The Bible in a Year, The Story Podcast, where we encounter a living God that is calling us to live a life from, with, and for Him. This podcast is designed to help you listen to the one connected story of the Bible and understand it perhaps just a little bit better by learning from biblical scholars that have helped me. We will read the Bible out loud and explore how the one connected story of the kingdom of God is unfolding and how we fit into that story today. This is day 109, and I'm reading from the NIV version of the Bible, 2 Samuel 1 and 2, 1 Chronicles 1 and 2, and Psalm 13. 2 Samuel 1. After the death of Saul, David returned from striking down the Amalekites and stayed in Ziklag two days. On the third day, a man arrived from Saul's camp with his clothes torn and dust on his head. When he came to David, he fell to the ground to pay him honor. Where have you come from? David asked him. He answered, I have escaped from the Israelite camp. What happened? David asked. Tell me. The men fled from the battle, he replied. Many of them fell and died, and Saul and his son Jonathan are dead. Then David said to the young man who brought him the report, How do you know that Saul and his son Jonathan are dead? I happened to be on Mount Gilboa, the young man said, and there was Saul, leaning on his spear with the chariots and their drivers in hot pursuit. When he turned around and saw me, he called out to me and said, What can I do? He asked me, Who are you? An Amalekite, I answered. Then he said to me, Stand here by me and kill me. I'm in the throes of death, but I'm still alive. So I stood behind him and killed him, because I knew that after he had fallen, he could not survive. And I took the crown that was on his head and the band on his arm and have brought them here to my Lord. Then David and all the men with him took hold of their clothes and tore them. They mourned and wept and fasted till evening for Saul and his son Jonathan, and for the army of the Lord and for the nation of Israel, because they had fallen by the sword. David said to the young man who brought him the report, Where are you from? I am the son of a foreigner, an Amalekite, he answered. David asked him, Why weren't you afraid to lift your hand to destroy the Lord's anointed? Then David called one of his men and said, Go, strike him down. So he striked him down and he died. For David had said to him, Your blood be on your own head. Your own mouth testified against you when you said, I killed the Lord's anointed. David took up this lament concerning Saul and his son Jonathan, and he ordered that the people of Judah be taught this lament of the bow. It is written in the book of Jasher, A gazelle lies slain on your heights, Israel. How the mighty have fallen. Tell it not in Gath, proclaim it not in the streets of Ashkelon, lest the daughters of the Philistines be glad, lest the daughters of the uncircumcised rejoice. Mountains of Gilboa, may you have neither dew nor rain. May no showers fall on your terrace fields, for the shields of the mighty was despised. The shield of Saul no longer rubbed with oil. From the blood of the slain, from the flesh of the mighty, the bow of Jonathan did not turn back. The sword of Saul did not return unsatisfied. Saul and Jonathan, in life they were loved and admired, and in death they were not parted. They were swifter than eagles, they were stronger than lions. Daughters of Israel, weep for Saul, who clothed you in scarlet and finery, who adorned your garments with ornaments of gold. How the mighty have fallen in battle. Jonathan lies slain on your heights. I grieve for you, Jonathan, my brother. You were very dear to me. Your love for me was wonderful, more wonderful than that of a woman. How the mighty have fallen, the weapons of war have perished. 
In the course of time, David inquired of the Lord, Shall I go up to the one of the towns of Judah? He asked. The Lord said, Go up. David asked, Where shall I go? To Hebron, the Lord answered. So David went up there with his two wives, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. David also took the men who were with him, each with his family, and they settled in Hebron and its towns. Then the men of Judah came to Hebron, and there they anointed David king over the tribe of Judah. When David was told that it was the men from Jabesh Gilead who had buried Saul, he sent messengers to them to say, The Lord bless you for showing this kindness to Saul, your master, by burying him. May the Lord now show you kindness and faithfulness, and I too will show the same favor because you have done this. Now then, be strong and brave, for Saul your master is dead, and the people of Judah have anointed me king over them. Meanwhile, Abner, son of Ner, the commander of Saul's army, had taken Ishbosheth, son of Saul, and brought him over to Mahanaim. He made him king over Gilead, Asheri, and Jezreel, and also over Ephraim, Benjamin, and all Israel. Ishbosheth, son of Saul, was forty years old when he became king over Israel, and he reigned two years. The tribe of Judah, however, remained loyal to David. The length of time David was king, and Hebron over Judah was seven years and six months. Abner, son of Ner, together with the men of Ishbosheth, son of Saul, left Mahaniam and went to Gibeon. Joab, son of Zeriah, and David's men went out and met at the pool of Gibeon. One group sat down on one side of the pool and one group on the other side. Then Abner, son of Joab, let's have some of the young men get up and fight hand to hand in front of us. All right, let them do it, Joab said. So they stood up and were counted off. Twelve men for Benjamin and Ishboasheth, son of Saul, and twelve for David. Then each man grabbed his opponent by the head and thrust his dagger into his opponent's side, and they fell down together. So that place in Gibeon was called Helkath Hazurim. The battle that day was very fierce, and Abner and the Israelites were defeated by David's men. The three sons of Zuriah were there, Joab, Abishai, and Ashahel. Now Ashahel was as fleet-footed as the wild gazelle. He chased Abner, turning neither to the right nor to the left as he pursued him. Abner looked behind him and asked, Is that you, Ashahel? It is, he answered. Then Abner said to him, Turn aside to the right or to the left. Take on one of the young men and strip him of his weapons. But Asahel would not stop chasing him. Again, Abner warned Asahel, Stop chasing me. Why should I strike you down? How could I look your brother Joab in the face? But Asahel refused to give up the pursuit. So Abner thrust the butt of his spear into Asahel's stomach, and the spear came out through his back. He fell there and died on the spot. And every man stopped when he came to the place where Asahel had fallen and died. But Joab and Abishai pursued Abner. And as the sun was setting, they came to the hill of Ammah near Gia on the way to the wasteland of Gibeon. Then the men of Benjamin rallied behind Abner. They formed themselves into a group and took their stand on top of the hill. Abner called out to Joab, Must the sword devour forever? Don't you realize that this will end in bitterness? How long before you order your men to stop pursuing their fellow Israelites? Joab answered, As surely as God lives, if you had not spoken, the men would have continued pursuing them until morning. So Joab blew the trumpet and all the troops came to a halt. They no longer pursued Israel, nor did they fight any more. 
All that night, Abner and his men marched through the Arabah. They crossed the Jordan, continued through the morning hours, and came to Mahanaim. Then Joab stopped pursuing Abner and assembled the whole army. Besides Ashahel, 19 of David's men were found missing. But David's men had killed 360 Benjamites who were with Abner. They took Asahel and buried him in his father's tomb of Bethlehem. Then Joab and his men marched all night and arrived at Hebron by daybreak. First Chronicles 1. Adam, Seth, Enosh, Kenan, Mahalalel, Jared, Enoch, Methuselah, Lamech, Noah, the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, the sons of Japheth, Gomer, Magog, Madai, Javan, Tubal, Meshach, and Tiris, the sons of Gomer, Ashkenaz, Riphath, and Togamara, the sons of Javan, Elshia, Tarshish, the Kittites, and the Rodanites, the sons of Ham, Cush, Egypt, Put, and Canaan, the sons of Cush, Seba, Havala, Sabta, Ramah, and Sabtika, the sons of Ramah, Sheba, and Dedan. Cush was the father of Nimrod, who became a mighty warrior on earth. Egypt was the father of the Luddites, Anamites, Lahabites, Neftuhites, Pethrusites, Kasloasites, from whom the Philistines came, and the Kethtorites. Canaan was the father of Sidon, his firstborn, and of the Hittites, Jebusites, Amorites, Girgashites, Hivites, Archites, Sinites, Arvadites, Zemorites, and Hamathites. The sons of Shem, Alam, Ashur, Arphaxad, Lud, and Aram. The sons of Aram, Uz, Hul, Gether, and Meshech. Arphaxad was the father of Shalah, and Shalah the father of Eber. Two sons were born to Eber. One was named Peleg, because in his time the earth was divided. His brother was named Joktan. Joktan was the father of Alamadad, Shalef, Hazamareth, Veth, Jera, Hadaram, Ozol, Dikla, Obal, Abimiel, Sheba, Ofer, Havlia, and Jobab. All these were sons of Joktan. Shem, Arphaxad, Shelah, Eber, Polog, Ru, Sarag, Nahor, Terah, and Abraham. And Abram, that is Abraham. The sons of Abraham, Isaac, and Ishmael, these were their descendants. Neboeth, the firstborn of Ishmael, Kedar, Adbiel, Mibsam, Mijma, Duma, Masa, Hadad, Tema, Jeter, Nephish, and Kedema. These were the sons of Ishmael. The sons born to Keturah, Abraham's concubine, Nimran, Jokshan, Medan, Midian, Ishbak, and Shua, the sons of Jokshan, Sheba, and Dedan, the sons of Midian, Epha, Epher, Hanak, Adbida, and Elda, all these were descendants of Keturah. Abraham was the father of Isaac. The sons of Isaac were Esau and Israel. The sons of Esau, Elphaz, Reuel, Jeush, Jalam, and Korah. The sons of Eliphaz, Temen, Omar, Zepho, Gatam, and Kenaz. But Timnah, Amalek. The sons of Reuel, Nahath, Zerah, Shammah, and Mizah. The sons of Seir, Lotan, Shabal, Zibion, Anah, Dishan, Ezer, and Dishan. The sons of Lotan, Hori, and Homa, Timnah was Lotan's sister. The sons of Shobal, Alvan, Manahath, Ebal, Shepo, and Anam. The sons of Zibion, Ahai, and Anah, 
the sons of Anah, Dishan, the sons of Dishan, Hemdad, Eshban, Ethran, and Karan, the sons of Ezer, Bilhan, Zavan, and Akan, the sons of Dishan, Uz, and Aran. These were the kings who reigned in Edom before any Israelite king reigned. Bela, son of Beor, whose city was named Dehibah, when Bela died, Jobab, son of Zerah from Bozrah, succeeded him as king. When Zobab died, Husham from the land of the Temanites succeeded him as king. When Husham died, Hadad, son of Bedad, who defeated Midian in the country of Moab, succeeded him as king. His city was named Ivith. When Hadad died, Samla from Masrakah succeeded him as king. When Hamla died, Shaul from Rehoboth on the river succeeded him as king. When Shaul died, Baal Hanan, son of Akbor, succeeded him as king. When Baal Hanan died, Hadad succeeded him as king. His city was named Pa, and his wife's name was Mahetabel, daughter of Metrid, the daughter of Mezahab. Hadid also died. The chiefs of Adam were Timnah, Alva, Jetheth, Ohilabamah, Allah, Pinan, Kanaz, Temam, Mibzar, Magdiel, and Aram. These were the chiefs of Edom. These were the sons of Israel, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, Dan, Joseph, Benjamin, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. The sons of Judah, Er, Onan, Shelah. These three were born to him by a Canaanite woman, the daughter of Shua. Er, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the Lord's sight, so the Lord put him to death. Judah's daughter-in-law, Tamar, bore Perez and Zerah to Judah. He had five sons in all, the sons of Perez, Hezron and Hebuel, the sons of Zerah, Zimri, Ethan, Heman, Kelkal, and Darda, five in all, the sons of Carmi, Akar, who brought trouble on Israel by violating the ban on taking devoted things. The son of Ethan, Azariah, the sons born to Hezron were Jeheramiel, Ram, and Caleb. Ram was the father of Aminadab, and Aminadab the father of Nashon, the leader of the people of Judah. Nashon was the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, Boaz the father of Obed, and Obed the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of Eliab, his firstborn. The second son was Abinadab, the third Shemiah, the fourth Nethanel, the fifth Radai, the sixth Ozem, and the seventh David. Their sisters were Zuriah and Abigail. Zuriah's three sons were Abishai, Joab, and Asahal. Abigail was the mother of Amasa, whose father was Jether, the Ishmaelite. Caleb, son of Hezron, had children by his wife, Azubah, and by Jerioth. These were her sons, Jeshur, Shobab, and Ardan. When Azubah died, Caleb married Ephrath, who bore him Hur. Hur was the father of Uri, and Uri the father of Bezalel. Later, Hezron, when he was six years old, married the daughter of Machir, the father of Gilead. He made love to her, and she bore him Segub. Segub was the father of Jair, who controlled 23 towns in Gilead. But Geshur and Aram captured Havoth Jair, as well as Kanoth, with its surrounding settlements, 60 towns. All these were descendants of Machir, the father of Gilead. After Hezron died in Caleb Ephrath, Abigail, the wife of Hezron, bore him Asher, the father of Tekoa, the son of Jeremiel, the firstborn of Hezron, Ram, his firstborn, Benan, Oren, Azem, and Ahijaj. Jeremiel had another wife whose name was Atara. She was the mother of Onam, the son of Ram, the firstborn of Jeremiel, Maz, Jamin, and Eker. 
the sons of Onam, Shammai, and Jadai, the sons of Shammai, Nadab, and Abishur. Abishur's wife was named Abihel, who bore him Ahaban and Molid, the son of Nadab, Seled, and Apem, Selen died without children. The son of Apim, Ishi, whose father was of Shashan, Shashan was the father of Hala, the son of Jada, Shammai brother, Jether and Jonathan. Jether died without children. The son of Jonathan, Peleth and Zaza. These were the descendants of Jerahamil. Shashan had no sons, only daughters. He had an Egyptian servant named Jarah. Shashan gave his daughter in marriage to his servant Jarha, and she bore him Atai. Atai was the father of Nathan, Nathan the father of Zabad, Zabad the father of Eflal, Eflal the father of Obed, Obed the father of Jehua, Jehua the father of Azria, Azria the father of Helez, Helez the father of Alessa, Alessa the father of Sismai, Sismai the father of Shalom, Shalom the father of Jachmai, and Jachmai the father of Elshamah. The sons of Caleb, the brother of Jeremiel, Mesha, his firstborn, who was the father of Ziph, and his son, Merashah, who was the father of Hebron. The sons of Hebron, Korah, Tapua, Nechem, and Shema. Shema was the father of Raham, and Raham the father of Jorkiam. Rechem was the father of Shemai. The son of Shemai was Moan, and Moan was the father of Beth Zor. Caleb's concubine, Afaf, was the mother of Haran, Mozah, and Gazez. Haran was the father of Gazez, the son of Jahdai. Rejem, Jotham, Geshan, Pelet, Afaf, and Sheaf. Caleb's concubine, Makah, was the mother of Shebur and Tirhana. She also gave birth to Sheaf, the father of Medmah, and to Shavah, the father of Mechabenah and Gibeah. Caleb's daughter was Aksa. These were the descendants of Caleb, the sons of her, the firstborn of Ephrathah. Shabal, the father of Kiriath, Jeriam, Salmah, the father of Bethlehem, and Haref, the father of Beth Gader. The descendants of Shobal, the father of Kiriath, Jerim, were Horah, Hap, the Mahananites, and the clans of Kiriath, Jerim, the Ethrites, the Puathites, the Shumathites, and the Mishurites. From these descendants, the Zorathites and Eshtoalites, the descendants of Salma, Bethlehem, and Netoaphites, Atroth, Beth Joab, half the Menahites, the Zorites, and the clans of scribes who lived at Jabez. The Tirathites, Shimeathites, and Sukathites. These are the Kenites who came from Hamath, the father of Rechabites. Psalm 13. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God, give light to my eyes, or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him, and my foe will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. First of all, if I have any biblical scholars listening and just lay people that happen to know Hebrew, I'm so sorry I do my absolute best on these names, but it is a mouthful. (laughs) Okay, here we go. So Dr. John Woodhouse, an Australian amazing biblical scholar and in my experience, helps to orient us in the story of the Bible. So quick orientation to the big picture. He highlights the importance of understanding how the Bible fits together and how the Old Testament helps to prepare us 
for Jesus. Dr. Woodhouse explains how the Bible, among many things, is a promise. It requires faith. We believe the promise that Jesus will bring to completion his good purposes for his whole creation that started all the way back in Genesis 1. To believe this changes everything about how we think and live. How is he going to do that? Well, the Bible gives us some good ideas, not all the details, but we see what he wants us and needs us to see. Dr. Woodhouse highlights God's promise to Abraham, which is summed up in the word blessing for the purpose of being a blessing to all of creation. This echoes back to the creation story. Then Dr. Woodhouse describes three parts of the story. The first part is where God is at work in faithfulness to his promise. That is the history of Israel. This whole period up until the kingdom of David, and then we'll talk about Solomon here soon, this history wasn't the answer. It was the preparation for the answer, which is how Dr. Woodhouse puts it. While there are wonderful, God-reflective aspects to some of the parts of this story. In the end, it falls under the weight of sinfulness of the leaders and the people at large. Then the prophet comes onto the scene to remind us that God isn't done with us or the people of Israel. The people of God will have a future. They will have a hope and they will have a future. Then we move to the New Testament and learn about Jesus, what he is doing, what he did, and how He is working out the promise he made. Again, God reveals what he wants us to know, but not necessarily every detail of the how. It was really cool. Dr. Woodhouse points to a time where a child asked why Jesus did not come in Genesis 4. If you remember, that's right after Adam and Eve morally defected, right? Such a great question. And the answer, which becomes clear as we read the rest of the Old Testament, they, the Israelites, we weren't ready for Jesus yet. We needed to work out that every model and system of governance or method of saving ourselves or running away, every other way of living outside of him will fail us. Our hearts, our experiences had to mature us and make known there is an unsubstitutable need for Jesus, a messianic king. He reminds us not to forget that the stories of the Old Testament are all pointing to Jesus, and that while we may get other insights and things from the stories, the larger movement in the story is pointing to our desperate and, again, our absolutely unsubstitutable need for Jesus. One risk, Dr. Woodhouse points out, of 2 Samuel is to pull it out of this story, to pull out what is practical and usable in our world. And while this is and can be meaningful as an exercise, we do not want to pull it out of the context and movement of the larger story. His perspective is to be careful not to treat the Bible merely as a way to help us cope with life or lead or self-help, but to lean into the story about Jesus and the relationship and promise of God that draws us into the story that is so incredibly real. It's calling us in and it's still unfolding today. It's like being recruited into the real Star Wars, Mandalorian, Lord of the Rings, Chronicles of Narnia You name it, the epic story, but it's God's story. It's real, and we're a part of it. So this story opens with, after the death of Saul, we notice, though, that neither David nor God rejoice at this King Saul. And then we read the story of the Amalekite who took credit for killing Saul, thinking that would maybe gain him 
reputation or regard, and it did not. So that's so interesting. And David's eulogy over Saul's death focuses on the good, the parts of Saul's life that were in line and following God, and just the role that he had been appointed by God. And Dr. Woodhouse points to that as being what is grieved. It's the goodness that is lost. In chapter 2, David is anointed king. He inquires of the Lord regarding what the next steps are, and obedience to God is the answer and the focus. David is called to Hebron. I guess that happened just before he was anointed king. And Dr. Woodhouse points to this location as intriguing because of its place in geography and its reference in the past of, of the story we've been reading. It's, drumroll please, Abraham's town, the place where he and his family are now buried. Dr. Woodhouse sees this as the author telling the reader the story is being connected and picked up where David is taking the purpose of Abraham and God's promise and God's mission forward. It's so cool, right? God will accomplish his good purposes for the whole of creation. It's this little glimmer of hope and anticipation, or that's how I feel. Yet, as Dr. Mackey describes, while David is a man chasing after God's own heart, he too will miss the mark, or sin as we call it. So 2 Samuel, the first part, will be the rise, success, and blessing of King David, followed by a terrible misstep and the consequences of that choice. The book will end with a review of the good or faithful steps of David, taking and being the representative agent of God, and the missteps too. It will give that glimmer of hope, though, of a future king and anticipate his coming. And this king is Jesus, because while David is a pretty awesome human king, the story is really pointing to the fact that no human king can do or be what we need. And that position will be, does belong to Jesus Christ. First Chronicles starts with Adam and recap of Abraham and ends with Israel's return from exile. It's like the entire story in the story. Dr. Mackey points out that we do not definitively know who wrote the book of Chronicles, or should I say scroll, but the producer seems to have written it about a century or a hundred years after the Jews returned from the Babylonian exile. He says the two main themes are the hope for a messianic king and a new type or a new second temple. I want to note that the scrolls of Chronicles, as is the case for Samuel and Kings, is not actually written on two scrolls. So it's not like first and second Chronicle scroll, first and second Samuel scroll, first and second King scroll, but rather each of them are a lengthy scroll, but they're one, and our Bible separates them into two smaller books. But they really are connected, and furthermore, the stories are connected together, telling a larger part of the story. Also, Dr. Mackey points out on the Bible Project that Chronicles is the last book of the Jewish Bible because it captures and summarizes the entire Old Testament. It may feel like a repeat, but Dr. Mackey describes how it's important not to skip it because there's rich detail and focus. While well, 1 Chronicles chapters 1 through 9 seem boring at face value as we name the genealogy, and I know I made a lot of mistakes in doing it, we are summarizing the family that leads to and emphasizes the coming messianic king. 
It started way back in Genesis 3.15 when God promised Eve her descendant would crush the head and the adversary would bite his heel. Then here in this story, it's emphasizing the line of Judah, which is one of the tribes of Israel, whose father was Jacob and his father was Isaac and his father was Abraham. This story focuses on Judah, his descendants, all the way to David pointing to the messianic king that will come after that and also the priesthood. So the Levitical descendants of Aaron from the tribe of Levi. Note the priests not only had to be Levites, but some Levites were the protectors of the priests while others were the priests. So here we go. Over the next few days, we're going to walk through 2 Samuel and 1 Chronicles. Pray for me, I'm praying for you. My prayer is this, found in Philippians 1, 9 through 11, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. What is this fruit? It is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Galatians 5, 22 through 24. See you tomorrow.